At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. You know, many of us enjoy the prospect of a new year. We enjoy the prospect of a new year because it represents a fresh start, an opportunity to begin again with a clean slate. The object of a new year, however, is not that we should have a new year, but that we should have a new soul, a renewed vigor in pleasing God and loving what he loves and avoiding what he hates. For some who are here today, 2022 was a year of victory. They defeated sin in their lives, long-held sin. For others, it was a year of defeat or depression because New Year's resolutions <laughs> did not come true. For others, they didn't bother with resolutions at all. But let me ask a question as we begin here this morning. How many of you would like to have God at work in your life to bless in 2023 as we begin the year? Just raise your, how many of you? Quite a few? Well, that's most of you. Others, maybe you don't care if God blesses or not. I don't know. We'll see about that. So let me ask a tough question. What have you done or what are you doing in order to remove the obstacles to God's blessing in your life? I'm talking, of course, about sins, our sins, the issues we continue to struggle with year to year, uh, resolution to resolution. You know, great resolutions are, are always vain unless joined with the consideration of our own weakness. God's people have promised much, but always with the agreement of Christ. As Paul wrote in Philippians 4.12, I can or I will do all things, how? Through Christ who strengthens me. It is through Christ's strength. So as we begin a new year with new resolves, the only way to get rid of your past is to make a future out of it. And our God is such that he will waste nothing of our past if it brings him glory in the future. I should mention at the outset this morning that what I'm sharing in this message only works for the person who has placed his or her personal trust, personal faith in the Lord Jesus. I'm not offering moral principles for living a better life. The Bible teaches those who have trusted Jesus have defeated, in a sense, in reality, that which holds them back. That is to say, the power of sin has been defeated through the death of Jesus on the cross and by his victory and resurrection. Because that's true, positionally, we are secure in Christ Jesus. But we all know that we have this ongoing experience of doing the things that we know will not please God. We're still sinners in thought, in word, and in deed. We may not be sinless, but our goal as believers in Christ Jesus ought to be to sin less. As we study this out, you will see that in God's mercy and grace, the grace that saves us through Jesus also brings power to live a life 
that pleases God. God was not content just to save us. He wanted to give with that salvation the very power to do what is right, the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. The means by which we are sanctified or made holy is the same means by which we were saved. We were saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. But when it comes to our sanctification, we have a role to play. When it comes to being made holy, God wants us to do things. As Paul taught the Galatians in 3.1, they had a mistaken notion of how someone would be made holy. He said, O foolish Galatians, before whose very eyes Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified, this one thing I want to know from you. Having begun by faith, that is, through the Holy Spirit, are you now being made perfect through the flesh? He tells them, no. God supplies something to them. What was the grace that saved us? It was a conviction brought to our souls by the Holy Spirit that we owe a debt of obedience to God that we cannot pay. Therefore we sang, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid the price we could not pay. While we were still sinners, Pastor E.J. reminded us, Christ died to pay for our sins. And then he rose again to validate all that he taught about coming to God through him, that it was true. We cannot earn God's favor trying to defeat sin in our own efforts. We cannot save ourselves, and there is a sense in which we cannot sanctify ourselves. Our salvation is totally and completely God's work, and the one who saved us wants to supply us with the power to keep on pleasing him. But the question is, are we cooperating with that? As Christians, we have an obligation to live our lives not according to the desires of the flesh, that is, that capacity for sinful actions still resident within us. We have an obligation to live according to the Spirit. So I begin by inviting you to join me and with me to own the fact that you are saved by God's grace to live a life that pleases God and not a life that pleases yourself. This is taught in Romans 6 and in Romans 8. What I mean by this is that we need to take responsibility, take ownership of what we say, what we do, and what we think. We make choices either to honor God or please ourselves. As Paul wrote in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin now that we're saved? See, there were people who thought that this was what Paul was teaching. And Paul was emphatically denying this teaching. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? Because the more we sin, the more grace there is. No. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, and baptism is identification, we have been identified with Jesus, were baptized into his death, we have been identified with him in his death. 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, not in the deadness of our sin. He says basically the same thing in Romans 8, verses 12 to 13. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, not to our sinful desires, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death, mortifying the deeds of the flesh, you will live. The flesh, again, does not refer to our physical bodies, but to that aspect of our ongoing selves that prefers to serve ourselves rather than serve God or others. Observe in the contrast that Paul makes that it is fleshly, not just bodily or even of the body, but driven by what is not spiritual, what is not of the spirit. So then, if we are to be blessed in 2023, as those who believe in Jesus, we must cooperate with and submit to the leading of the Spirit of God. This is found in Galatians 5. But I say, Paul wrote, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is, walk in step with the Spirit. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. What you naturally desire is not always what is pleasing to the Holy Spirit of God and therefore not pleasing to God himself. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You see, the Spirit is within you <laughs> to prevent you from sinning. But do you and I take advantage of that fact? If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He's teaching the Galatians, it's not just a matter of rule keeping. The works of the flesh are evident, and he lists them. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this that are in your mind that I haven't mentioned. <laughs> I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, who practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It is the singular fruit. It is one fruit that the Spirit produces that has many aspects. And what are those facets to that gem? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things there's no law against. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. It's more simply put in Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, that is, exterminate the desires of the flesh to gratify its desires. Each of us has a role to play in extinguishing what is contrary to the pleasure of God in our lives. You see, 
we sing and we are grateful for the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins. But we show and we continually manifest our gratitude toward Jesus by continuing to extinguish those things that never pleased him in the first place. But when I say walk with the Spirit, or walk in step with the Spirit, it creates a problem, doesn't it? Just like it's very difficult to walk with Jesus, whom I cannot see, how do I walk in step with the Spirit, whom I do not see? It's like following Jesus. You cannot see him, yet you're called to follow him. So what do you do? You look for the evidence of Jesus' character in the lives of those who follow Jesus, and you follow them to the extent that they follow Jesus. You hear the Spirit's voice in the words of the apostles and Jesus, and you walk in their ways as they were Spirit-led. These passages tell us to yield to his control, to consistently follow the Spirit's promptings rather than the promptings of our own inner desires. The Spirit is the other helper that Jesus promised. As he was leaving his disciples, he said, I will send from the Father another helper, another one just like me. Not only does Jesus provide for the defeat of our sins and our eternal destiny, he provides for our ability to defeat sin and be pleasing to God in 2023. But the Spirit would have us be active in defeating our sin, not passive. He would have us attack sin in our lives at its source. John Owen wrote years ago, always be killing sin, for you can be sure that sin is always killing you. Finish this thought with me. The wages of sin is, say it again, death. That sounds serious, is it? Well, let me ask you, are you treating sin like the payment for it is death? Someone paid that price for you in the person of Jesus, and I hope you trust him today. But sin is still serious. And John tells us there is a sin leading to death. Sometimes physical discipline is the result of sin in our lives. But, so don't be naive concerning the nature of Satan. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2.11, he employs, we are not ignorant of his schemes. Satan has strategies. And do not be naive concerning the nature of sin. The writer to the Hebrews in 3.13 said, sin is deceptive. It's like that bag of potato chips up on the shelf at the store. It says it has so many ounces, but when you open it, poof, it's air. <laughs> and you look to the bottom and there's a few chips. That is the nature of sin. And the nature of sin has not changed. Grace changes the nature of man but nothing changes the nature of sin. And the wages of sin is death. 
always be killing sin, for you can be sure that sin is always attempting to kill you. And some, since we are supposed to put sin to death, mortify sin in our lives, we need to understand that some things that we attempt to do in defeating sin fall short of putting sin to death in our lives. For one, sin is not put to death when we merely cover it up, when we hide it. Proverbs 28:13 says, Whoever conceals his sins, his transgressions, will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes his sin will obtain mercy. So sin is not put to death when we merely cover it up, when we merely hide it. We need to be with other believers who know something of our sins. Not that they're going to use them against us, but they'll hold us to account and remind us of our promises to God to be obedient. Sin is not put to death when we merely cover it up. Sin is not put to death when we merely internalize it or repress it. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 5. You have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Now murder, there's a sin, right? (laughs) Jesus goes one step further. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. And so if you think about killing your brother, that too is sin. Just internalizing your anger. People deal with anger for years. Is anger a problem for you? Is it something God is calling you to exterminate in 2023? Sin is not put to death when we merely repress it. And sin is not mortified. It's not put to death when we merely exchange it for another sin. Well, I stopped doing this sin. I do this one instead. (laughs) That's not putting sin to death. Or we make comparisons with other believers. Well... I may be a sinner, but I'm not a sinner like EJ is a sinner, let me tell you. (laughs) And EJ is a wonderful person. Please don't take that as me impugning his character. Uh, I'm sure he's a sinner like I am. But I gain no ground with God when I exchange one sin for another or when I compare one sinner to another. The Spirit would have us devote ourselves to prayer and meditate on the truth and to keep a clean conscience, but to learn the limits of conscience. A conscience can be clear. Paul wrote, I am aware of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. It is the Lord Jesus who examines me. In other words, the conscience is not the only guide. But the conscience is a God-given capacity for self-critique. Even unbelievers have a conscience, according to Romans chapter 1. Their conscience sometimes acquits them and sometimes condemns them. Conscience is that voice within us that says, you know, you really ought not to be doing that. And sometimes we listen to it and sometimes we don't. 
Sometimes we're guilty of what I call Jiminy Cricket theology. In Pinocchio, always let your conscience be your guide. Yet Paul, in his writings, speaks of a seared conscience, a conscience that is so desensitized by sin that it can sin without feeling the weight of sin. And what is the weight of sin? The wages of sin is death. Are you treating sin like it's something deadly in your life? If not, your conscience may be seared. A conscience can be seared by repetitive sin. Conscience is a warning, but we have to listen to it. And so it is a believer's responsibility in the spirit to consciously and continuously remove sin from his or her life and to do so in an uncompromising manner. Now, if you still struggle defeating sin, and I hope you do still struggle, I invite you to join with me and others here at Woodside who will study and actively apply what it means to cooperate with the grace of God at work in your life. We said that the grace that saved you also comes with the power to deliver you from ongoing sin. But for that to happen, you and I have to cooperate with God's grace at work in our lives. This is what Paul taught in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. As he speaks to the Philippians, he talked about the example of Jesus at the beginning of chapter 2. And he writes in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now here comes the irony. Work it out, for it is God who works in you. Wait a second. You work it out, but it is God who works in you. Which is it? The answer? Yes. And you'll see how in a minute. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, my friends, when Jesus saved you, he saved you from sin and its penalty. And ultimately, he will transport you from sin's presence into heaven, where there will be no sin, no more tears, no more sorrow. But until that time, you and I live in a sinful world and are ourselves sinners. But Jesus was not just content to give us a happy future. Jesus wanted to give us the power, the very power of God, to say no to sin in the present. Isn't that beautiful? God loves you so much that he sent his son to die. And his son loves you so much that he sent his spirit to indwell you to give you the very power of God to do what is right when it comes to confronting sin. Now you still struggle with sin, as do I. But God is there supplying the power. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So do all things without grumbling or disputing. There's a good New Year's resolution. I'll do all things without grumbling or disputing. And later this afternoon, I'll grumble about the football score. <laughs> that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish amid a crooked and twisted generation. 
Paul could write back then that it was a twisted and crooked generation. Do we live in one? Among whom you shine as lights in the world. If you do this, you will shine. Holding fast or holding forth the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So what does that look like? Philippians 2.12 is not about doing good works to earn our salvation. Philippians 2.12 is about working out the desire and power we have because of the salvation that is at work within us to do good works. In other words, God is telling us to work out or exercise our salvation. He is saying, don't just sit there passively as one who is saved by grace and do nothing about it. That verb rendered work out means to continually work out to bring something to its completion. We do this by actively pursuing obedience. Paul explains that further in chapter 3 of Philippians. He describes himself as straining and pressing on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He presses on. And the trembling, do so with fear and trembling. Trembling can refer to shaking, but this is a shaking of a higher purpose. It's an attitude, a healthy fear of offending God through our disobedience. An awe and respect. I don't, as I enter into 2023, O oh Lord, prevent me from doing anything that would hinder your blessing, O oh Lord, in my life. I fear you, and I fear myself. I know what my sin can do to me, and I know how my sin offends you. Oh, Lord, remove my sin as far from me as the east is from the west. Positionally, that's true in Jesus. Make it so in my daily experience. What if we could pray that kind of prayer and live by that kind of power? These have been the deep questions that have guided my walk over the last eight months. Since God removed my frontal lobe, <laughs> took the cancer with it, these questions have pressed in on my soul. And I have found that in the spirit, I can be more than an overcomer through the power that God supplies. God got my attention. Yes, now I'm preaching with half my brain tied behind my back just to make it fair. <laughs> but he asked, I ask, what is next, Lord? What is the obedience you are looking for today? What is the good work that you prepared beforehand for today that I should walk in it? What is the Spirit's purpose for my next breath, my next conversation, my next task? Since I've begun to pray this way, God has opened doors for me to share my faith. God has opened doors for me to defeat sin. God has changed me. Will you join me in this grand adventure? Many have, of you have told me that you have found encouragement in my expressions of my faith in God and my testimony for Jesus post-surgery. I'm here today to tell you that the Spirit of God who saw to my salvation is seeing to my forward victory in Jesus. He's making me an overcomer in my daily experience. I have confidence that he who began a good work in you will complete that work in the day of Christ Jesus. 
I find him at work trying to complete that work in me. Will he find it active in you? Will Jesus find you submissive to the leading of the Spirit? This year, beginning mid-January, we're going to be offering classes, you could call them, kind of a discipleship platform on which you can begin to stabilize your faith. Even a class in how to defeat sin in your life. We'll talk about more of these strategies. We're offering things that will help you to study your Bible better, to learn and to grow and to be faithful. And it's important that we do this because the grace that saved us is there to help us extinguish our sin. The wages of sin is, will you live 2023 as though you believe that to be true? Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, thank you for providing not only our ultimate victory over sin's dominion in our lives, Sin is no longer master over us. Now, Father, we ask and we pray that you would help us to exhibit our mastery over sin on a daily basis. Where we fail, we are thankful that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But thank you for the grace that is there through the power of the Spirit. And now, Father, as we sing... We realize that for all that we have experienced in Jesus, there is more to come because that's the nature of our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.